Good morning, and Erev Shabbos, everyone. To continue, we left off the fifth chapter in Nazar, <coughs> 32a on the top, top line. But they're looking mother, Mani, Masnisin, according to this, our Mishnah followed, Mishnah says, if someone made a Nazar and he couldn't release it, couldn't get a release, and he violated his Nazidus, he drank wine, he contaminated so nevertheless, he starts counting. His count begins from when he made when he was a nazir, even though he wasn't living up to it. So according to you, our Mishnah follows. Rabbi Yisur, Rabban, not the pinyin, Rabbi Yisur, not the pinyin, Rabban, Tani Ulur Nebrais, Mishin, not of all nazirus. He so made a made a vow of nazirus, and then he violated it. Ain this kachin le'elon kein main behem isur, unless he observes the prohibition of nazirus. We don't count it. We don't deal with his nazirus. In other words, whether whatever whatever it is, whether he wants to release his vow, whether whether he wants to conclude the vow, we don't pay attention. We don't get involved. He didn't even start your nazirus yet. First, first follow the nazirus, and then we'll talk. Yeah, the amount of days that he was he was violating his nazirus, he has to make up for it. That's the opinion of the rabbis. Rabbi Yisim and Rabbi Yisim argues there's no dayishleishim. It's enough thirty days. Let's say it was a longer nazirus, and he violated for fifty days of the nazirus. He was drinking wine, fabrenging. So we tell him thirty days is enough. Count thirty days, make up for the time lost. Thirty days and. The rest of the days do count. Now, this, it's only rabbinic. Biblically, of course it counts. He, he violated, he violated. But the days of Nazirus is count. But rabbinically, we, we penalize him. We don't want to get involved. Either you make up the full days that you violated. It's the opinion of the rabbin, the majority of the rabbis. And Rabbi Yassi is a sole opinion and says, no, 30 days is enough of a penalty. But either way, it's not like our mission. Our mission says... That we start counting, even rabbinic, we start counting from from when he made the nazirus, even though he violated it. If our Mishnah follows the opinion of Rabbanan Kasha Nazirus, in case of a long term nazirus, it's difficult, according to, he doesn't have to add any extra days, according to Rabbanan, you have to add all the days that he violated. Rabbi Yezi, Kasha Nazirus, if Rabbi Yezi, then it's difficult the case of a short nazirus of 30 days still he would have to make up 30 days even Rabbi Yaisi would agree let's say it was a standard nazirus it wasn't a 100 day nazirus a regular nazirus was just 30 days still in all you have to make up 30 days even Rabbi Yaisi says you have to make up 30 days not like our mission that says you start counting from when he became a nazir if you prefer I'll tell you I'll tell you that our Mishnah follows Rabbi Yaisi. If you want, I'll tell you our Mishnah follows Rabban. Our Mishnah follows opinion Rabbi Yaisi. Now Mishnah is talking about a long-term Nazirus. Where Rabbi Yaisi is talking about a short-term Nazirus. And therefore... Well, that, it that only, only the, according to Rabbi Yaisi, if it's a long-term nazirus, he only forfeit thirty days. So the Mishnah, when the Mishnah means when the Mishnah means that that you count that from when you count the days 
the previous days, he's not referring to all the days, he refers to some of the days. Let's say it was 100 days in the Zidus, and he drank wine 50 of those days. The first 50 days. So 20, 30, you have to you forfeit 30, but 20 of those days counts, and that's what the mission is referring to. And the mission is not talking about a short term Zidus, because then you couldn't count at all any. If you want don't you didn't misinterpret the mission. The mission doesn't mean you start counting from when he vowed to become a nazir. It means from from the time that has elapsed since he made his vow. Because he has to he has to take into account all the days from when he made a vow. And now, all the days that he violated, and he has to add it, add it, he has to make up for it. So, in addition, on top of the original term, he has to add all the days, he has to count from when he became a from when he vowed to be a Nazir, up until the point he violated, he, he drank. And he has to take all those days and add it, in addition, add it on to the days of Nazirus. 100 days of Nazirus, and he drank 50 days, now it becomes 150 days. So you're right, our Mishnah, the way you understood the Mishnah, it's not true, it's incorrect. Because it doesn't follow any opinion. It can, that cannot mean, that cannot be the meaning of the Mishnah, because there's no such opinion anywhere in the Shaz. You violate, and yet you count all those days, and there's no forfeiture, you don't, you don't, there's no penalty, there's no, there's no such opinion. So either he means that that you can count some of the days if it's a long Nazirus, not all the days because you do for for 30 days, or it means that you count from when he became a Nazir until, until he finished drinking wine, and then you add those days on top of the Nazirus that he took upon himself, like the rabbit. Okay, then the Mishnah continues, what if he... He asks the wise one and he releases him of his nether. If he has an animal that's been set aside, he, um, the animal set aside, so then the halach is, and everyone agrees with the halach. The animal is, is sent to pasture. There's no holiness in the animal. According to you, it's not consistent with your opinion. Elsewhere, you say that if you, if you sanctify an animal by mistake, with a false assumption, nevertheless, it's still negative. And here you agree that the animal goes to pasture, even though it was a mistake. The ruling of Bishamai, we can understand what the opinion of Bishamai is. Didn't Bishami say that an erroneous consecration is a consecration? But our mission says, Bishami says, since it turns out that he was never a Nazir, the whole thing was not was not correct. It was incorrect. That was even Bishami holds that Hektish betoys. An erroneous consecration is affected. But this case is different. It's not erroneous. It doesn't exist. There is no nazivity. So from this we can also extrapolate the Bissalam. We can also learn. Everyone agrees when it comes to the Tumura. If you make by mistake, 
you meant to say that this is a substitute for a peace offering. Instead, you said it's a substitute for a burnt offering. Nevertheless, it's effective. So also, as long as you maintain the original sanctity, even sanctifying an animal for sacrifice should also be released. It's a vow like any other vow. If you release it retroactively, the animal is not sacred. If it was never sacred, then the tamura is not even sacred. It's akadami tamura. So from the case, in this case, we can extrapolate from the case of the of the vow of the nazar, we can extrapolate with the sacrifices, in relation to the sacrifices, we can extrapolate the laws of Tumur. The Mishnah says, Bishama responded to Basil, you are trying to challenge me. That there's no such thing as as erroneous sanctification. I'll prove to you that there is. Don't you admit that if a person called the ninth animal and he's tithing his animals and they're lined up and they leave one by one and by mistake he said the ninth, he called the ninth the you know he went through an equity course it was to his five so number nine he decided it's number ten and sue him if he's wrong and then the tenth he called the, the ninth and then the eleventh he called the tenth and then the bigger the count and then the count <laughs> we learn regarding the tithing of an animal it's only if by mistake he made a mistake and called the ninth one the tenth only then does the title say that all three animals are sacred the ninth that he called the tenth the tenth that he called the ninth and the eleventh that he called the tenth but if it was intentional like Kavanasa, if it was Kavan, the Kavan means with intent. Not the way we daven without intent, but we daven with Kavan with intent. Then, then it's not, if we intentionally call the ninth and tenth, then it's not sacred. They say, if when he makes a mistake, the Taylor says it's the ninth and he calls the tenth the sacred. How much more so if he does it intentionally? The Mishnah is not saying this is the only case. The Mishnah says, yeah, he made a mistake. But it's not saying that that's the only case. The mission is telling us a chiddush, a novelty, that even if he makes a mistake, Misha So from this we learn that consecration by mistake is a consecration. How much more so if you do it intentionally? According to you, the Amrit that you say, that is precise, Misham is precise, only in the case of a mistake, not if it's intentional. How do you explain a Peshame saying to Beshilla? Why was Basilo silent? Basilo could have responded to Bishamaikavan. How could you compare? What are you comparing? You're not comparing apples to apples. In a case of Hegdis sanctification, which is done intentionally. So then if you make a mistake, it doesn't count. In the case of mice, uh, you can't do it intentionally. 
if by intentionally he calls it nine to ten, it's not sacred. So therefore, in that case, the Torah says if you do it unintentionally, it is sacred. But in the case of a sacrifice, where if you do it intentionally, it's sacred, it has to be intentional. If you do it unintentional, it doesn't count. By mice, it's the reverse. If you do it intentional, if you call the ninth and tenth intentionally, it's meaningless. Only if you do it unintentionally. So, so what, are you, what, are you, what, what are you bringing up proof? To the case of sanctifying a regular sacrifice. It's not apples to apples. We're talking about two different cases. The reverse. But obviously, it's a special, it's a special, unique case. You can't learn from it. The Torah says that if you do it intentionally, it means nothing. If you do it unintentionally, the Torah says it becomes sacred. So you can't learn anything from it. What are you extrapolating? If you're trying to learn from there that any sanctification of any animal, if it's done on a, on a false uh, presumption, a false premise, you're saying it's sacred. What's the, what's the proof? You can't prove anything. You can't learn anything from that case. He's asking Rab Nachman, according to Rab Chizra, who makes sense, because it's exactly the same case as, as any animal that's consecrated as a sacrament. You do it intentionally, and it, just like over there, you do it intentionally, you call it a ninth or tenth, it's sacred. Tate is telling us also if you do it unintentionally, it was a mistake. So we can learn any animal from it. If you sanctify an animal, if you do it intentionally, it's sacred. Even if you, even if you do it by mistake, it's also sacred. Now you understand Mishami's argument. I mean, still has nothing to answer. But according to you, Rav Nachman, it makes no sense. Why, why, why Basila could have had an easy answer? What, 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 are you, what, are you, what was Bishamay thinking? How could you learn from that case? It's a unique case. The reason why Basila didn't respond like that to Bishamay because the Kalva Chaymen was Bishamay could say it's a Kalva Chaymen. It's logically compelling. If a case of tithing, where deliberate kavana does not does not confer any sanctity, if it's incorrect, nevertheless, kaddish betoys. If you sanctify it by mistake, by mistake he called the ninth to tenth, hegdin, the animal is sanctified. Hey, kaddish betoys a hegdin. In the case of a general sacrifice, Shakadish Bekavana, we're intent, intentional, does sanctify the animal. How much more so that if it's done by mistake? On the contrary, it's a good I could learn from there. If a case where intentional does not help, and yet unintentional helps, a case where intentional helps, how much more so that I can learn from there that unintentional surely makes it sacred. I think about it says Velohi, but it's not so. Why? Because the Hegda is bedaited the Maritola. Consecration depends on the owner's intent. It says a person will sanctify his house. A person will sanctify, it means he's doing it intentionally. So you're trying to say that a mistaken consecration is more effective than deliberate consecration. It's not true. The whole idea of consecration is mentioned in the Pasuk is if it's done deliberately. So the case of an animal is, is a special thing. 
it's a unique thing. You can't learn from there. Even though it makes no sense. When the Torah tells us you sanctify, it means you do it deliberately and intentionally. Even this week's parasha, it has to be lishmar, it has to be with intent. You can't just give it like a robot. And, and, and to make it sacred to the temple. For the temple, the donations are given to the temple. So to make something sacred has to be intent. There is a chiddush. The Torah says, for whatever reason, that, un, that unintentional works. And intent it won't work, actually. If you intentionally call the ninth to tenth, it has no sanctity. So I can't learn from there. You can't say a kabul How much more so than in a regular thing? Where intent works, how much more so unintent? No. Unintent doesn't work with, with sanctity. That's Basil's argument. No, it's not what. The only thing Basil said is that what about the, the, the 12th and the 8th? In other words, it's a special law. You can't, you can't learn from this, you can't extrapolate from this in a regular case of consecration. Okay, beautiful. Next mission. On the bottom of 32 about to be a and he went to bring his animals. He had when he made when he he thought when he became a nazir, he thought he had the animals upstate in this farm. He had the animals. So he comes, he comes to bring his animals to the base of English. Turns out they had been stolen. And he would never have made the vow had he, he didn't have any animals. He doesn't want to remain another the rest of his life. <laughs> if he declared himself a nazar before the animals were stolen, he's a nazar. Because at the time, he really had animals. At the time, you had animals and you would have done it. If you had animals, you would have done it. Later on, he got unlucky, he was stolen. We continue yeah, yeah. inside yeah. me. Yeah. But what if it was, what if it was stolen first, and then he took a vow and based an erroneous assumption that he had the animals? He's not a nuz. Had he been aware, <laughs> if he had the animal, he wouldn't be worried. Maybe the animals will get stolen. He's not worried about that. But if, when he made the vow, after it was stolen, he would never, he would never have a vow. Can he pick up an animal during the Of course, he can always buy them. But he had a mind. He said, "I would never. I would. I would never. Yeah, no. I have these. I don't want to go spend money. I have animals. I'll, I'll give it to them." Now, does Bishamay agree with this? He doesn't need a release. Taisman says he needs a release. He has to go to the Chokhmah. This is a case of real regret. I would never have made the vow. I regret making the vow. I'm not happy about the vow. If I didn't have an animal, it was, it was, I would never make the vow. So he releases him. And once he releases him, there's no nuzzle. Like we said earlier, the, the animals, everyone agrees. The animals go, go, go to pasture. There's no argument. Even Bishamay agrees. <coughs> The whole premise was wrong. The whole thing was so, so therefore, he uproots the vows if it never happened. So therefore, it was never a vow. It's not like the case when a husband smashes it. Even when the Gemara asks, does the husband smash it uh, retroactively or does he smash it going forward? The Allah is going forward. But even in the Havimim, it was retroactively, there's a vow for a moment and then the husband smashes it. Because he's smashing the vow. He's, he's breaking the vow. Here, the Chacham is not breaking the vow. It never happened. 
It never happens that the animals are free, free to go according to everyone. Mishnah continues with toys. This is a mistake that was made by Nachum Amad from Mother, from Mid. So this is the mistake of Nachum Amad. Nizidim came up from the diaspora to offer the concluding sacrifice in Yerushalayim and Mots of Beisam Mikdash and they found the base of Mignus was destroyed. So they couldn't offer their sacrifices. And until you offer the sacrifices, you're remain a Nazir the rest of your life. So he asked them, Hayisim Nazirim, Elo Hayisim Yedin Beisamikhar. Had you known that you would never have the opportunity to conclude your Nazirus, would you ever take the point to become a Nazir? Because you were happy with the Nazirus. You liked the idea of Nazirus, like the consequences. But had you known, that the other consequences that he didn't anticipate, the consequences that you'll never be a Nazir for the rest of your life, you can never release yourself from the Nazirus, would you ever have taken upon yourself the Nazirus? I'm a lawyer, definitely not, of course not. We were a temporary thing, we're doing a little escafia, we're breaking ourselves, working ourselves, but for a time limit, there's an expiration date. You're not going to beat yourself up for the rest of your life. <laughs> we, have to, we, have to, we have to get back to the Fabrengen. We're never going to Fabrengen the rest of our life. Absolutely not. They released it. That was his mistake. When the matter came before the rabbis, the sages, Amri, they said, Amri, they said, Anyone who became a Nazar before the temple was destroyed as a Nazar. It's too late. Because at the time when they made the Nazirahs, they would never have anticipated that the temple would destroy. They would have taken their chances. If you would have told them at the time, go back in time. You would have told listen, there's a chance that Mr. will be destroyed. And then you're stuck for life. You know, so I'll take my chances. I mean, what are the chances of Mr. will be destroyed? The, 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 the benefits of a Nazar outweigh any far-fetched yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna yeah, temple, temple, temple in front of them. Who's it? But if you make a vow, Mishachada based on English, anyone who became another after the base of English was destroyed, and he didn't know about it, so the whole thing was a mistake. He partially didn't know. He, he, the, the news didn't get to them yet. This is before the internet and instant, instant messages. They didn't know that the temple was destroyed. By the time they traveled to Israel, they found out the temple was destroyed. Before they made the Nazis. But had they known, then they would have never remembered. That's what the mission is saying. If when he had the animal, the animal was there when he made the vow, and then it was stolen. So he would have he would have made the vow. He wouldn't have anticipated the animal's gonna get stolen. So before you can't you can't take it back. You can't really, and, and he's obligated to bring the animals and to conclude But if it was stolen before he made the vow and he just didn't know about it. There was an erroneous assumption. It was a false information. Had he known, he definitely would not have made Then and only then do you say that uh, you're, there's no disease. Just like over here. If he made a vow, the temple was still there. That's the mission. The rabbis swept Rabbi Lezard away from his previous opinion and brought him over to their opinion. Nah, learned in the Mishnah. We learned, remember, the previous track, they tracked it in the Dodi. And we open up with Naila Divir Unforeseen circumstances. 
could you use unforeseen circumstances as a basis of releasing the vows? Shabblezer holds yes. The rabbis say no. The rabbis say because, and here's an argument with the Rambam and all the other commentaries. For example, the example is given there. What if he makes a vow, I'll never want to benefit from this person. And it turns out this person becomes the scribe in the city. He becomes the mayor in the city. And he has no choice. He has to deal with it. So it's like unforeseen service. I would never, when I made the vow, I never, never imagined that he's going to become such a critical and I need a service and I need to deal with him. Could you use that as, a, as an opening for release? Because it's unforeseen circumstances. The rabbis say you can't. Why? So the Rambam explains because really, I'm very happy with my vow. I hate this person's guts. I don't. I don't want to ever deal with him the rest. Of, I don't want to look at his face. Yeah, unforeseen circumstances. I have no choice. But it's not a real regret. It's not a real. I would never have made the vow. Of course, I made the vow. But it's circumstances beyond my control. You know, during World War II, Churchill and, 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 and Roosevelt had to deal with Stalin, a mass murderer who murdered more Russians than Hitler. He had no choice. Unforeseen circumstances. World War II came, and suddenly the enemy, communist, the biggest Russian militia in the world, became their ally, and they had to smile at him and talk to him and help him. So I, I'm not happy with it. I wish I could never look at look at this guy's face this evil monster mm-hmm. but I have no choice so it's not a real regret it's not an opening others say the real reason is the, the understanding is that no it doesn't matter even unforeseen and you really regret it because you have to deal you have to deal with this person I have no choice but the question is like this we're going back in time at the time when you made the vow and now that you're aware there is a possibility of an unforeseen circumstance it's possible you know World War II could break out it's possible this guy can end up being the mayor of town but what are the chances would you have taken the vow or you would have, or you would have taken the chances what are the chances one in a million this person can end up you know being the mayor I have to deal with him with a scribe I must deal with him I, I'll take my chances because the benefits outweighs this is so far-fetched even, even the risk is so far-fetched, even insurance wouldn't cover it. It's an act of God. It's so far-fetched. It's not part of the equation. So even if it turns out to be, I would still, going back, I would have made the vow. So it's not an opening. It's not a release. So Rabbi said that the rabbis overwhelmed Rabbi Leza and they made him change his mind. They made him see their logic. How could you say you can open up with a release when an, uh, with an unforeseen circumstance, something so far-fetched? That, that happens, he can't go back and change the vow. And he agreed with them. Even though the rabbis say you can't release a vow in the base of unexpected development, but nevertheless they agree to release a vow on the basis of an argument predicated on unexpected development. What do you mean? Amri Lahoy, for example, we say to them, the Nizirim, who couldn't bring the sacrifice because the temple was destroyed. Ilu At the time when you made a vow, someone would come and tell you, and would have said the temple would be destroyed. Would you have vowed? 
So in other words, yes, you can't make, you can't release a vow predicated on something unforeseen. Because you would have gone ahead and made the vow. Well, I'm going to worry the base of the guy. It's so far-fetched in my mind. But what if you would have had people who would have convinced you? Look at the political circumstance, the firestorm, we're fighting Rome, it's just a matter of time that we're going to, you know, if the CIA came to you and said, listen, we have inside information, this is about to happen, and it's imminent, and the temple is doomed, and, uh, you know, with all the hotheads and the extremists here, you know, it's, it's a game over, you know what, maybe I would have listened. Maybe it wouldn't be so far-fetched. I thought it was far-fetched, but if someone would have come and advised me and told me, listen, this is a real consideration, you have to take it into mind that I would never have made the vow. If I would have thought that it's a real possibility and the temple will be destroyed, I'll be stuck for life. I, I would never have made the vow. So that, then, that, even the rabbis would agree that that's a good opening. That's what he means. An argument based on unexpected development. That if people would come at the time, not later on, at the time when you were making the vow, people would have told you and convinced you that you do have to take into consideration. It's not so far-fetched. It's something that's a real possibility. And they would have convinced me. And then I would never have made the vow. So that is a release. That is an opening. So Rabbi Yesus says, If I was there, when the rabbis criticized Nachum Ammadai, releasing him of their vows, I would have answered them. I would have defended Nachum Ammadai. See, if it's written, Heichel Hashem, Heichel Hashem, Heichel Hashem, Heim, it says in Jeremiah, they are the temple of Hashem, the temple of Hashem, the temple of Hashem. Why well, say three times? This refers to the destruction of the first temple and to the destruction of the second temple. That even though the first and second temple be destroyed, there will be a third temple. Heichel Hashem three times. Since they knew prophetically that the second temple will be destroyed, so therefore it's not an un- it's not an unlikely. This was written in Jeremiah. Before the, by the destruction of the first temple. And they already knew there's going to be a second temple. And they already prophesied the second temple will be destroyed. So it's not so unforeseen. The holy prophet already prophesied this, stood on the hills of Yerushalayim, prophesying there's going to be a second temple, that temple will be destroyed. So therefore it's not, so Nachamad is correct. It's not an unforeseen circumstance. It was already known. The prophet already prophesied. So therefore he would take it into account. He would take it seriously. And he would never have vowed. So he has a right to release them. See, even though they made the vow before the temple was destroyed, but had they known that the, t- the time they came to Yerushalayim to offer the sacrifice, and in the meanwhile the temple was destroyed, had they known, they would never, they would never have made the vow, because, and it's not an unforeseen circumstance. The mother objects and says, no. Yeah, one day they knew the temple was going to be destroyed. But you know, it's like the diet. It's not in my, not in my lifetime. <laughs> Tomorrow, yeah, not today, not now, not here, now, me. One day in the future, you know, for many people, tragically, Mashiach is in the future and always will be. So in the future, one day, one day the temple will be destroyed. But it was not, I would, they would have made the vow because they wouldn't have taken, knowing this prophecy wouldn't have changed anything. Didn't they know when? The it says... 
Shavuayim, Shivim, Nechtach, Alamcha, Valirkachach. It says in, in the deal, 77s. Shavuayim, Shivim. And what if the Mizbeth is prepared? How much? 70. Right? 70 Shmitas. 70 Shavuayim, Shavuayim, 70 Shmitas is 490 years. And the story. And what it's 490 years. <laughs> yes. What it so the, at the time of the destruction of the first temple, he said in 490 years, because it was the, the 70 years of the exile, and the temple stood, the second temple, 420 years. So he knew exactly to the date when the temple will be destroyed. He said it clearly. But still, they don't know which day will be destroyed. Okay, they knew which year, but it's the beginning of the year. Is it the end of the year? So they believe that they have enough time to conclude the Nazirus. And they have enough time to bring their sacrifice when the temple is destroyed. And then they came. They, they, they blew it. What enough time? It's too late. No, we would never have made it then. Yesav argues that her mother was right. They would not have made a vow because they knew the temple is going to be destroyed. The mother says, no, they would have made a vow. Because even though they knew the temple was going to be destroyed, and even the year, but they didn't know when. And they thought they had enough time. Right under the wire. And then they came and realized the temple was already destroyed, and Tishabav was too late. Rabbi Yisrael was trying to tell Nachman Madai, and he's wrong. And the rabbis say, no, the rabbis are right. They would have made the vow anyway. Even knowing that the temple will be destroyed, and even knowing the year the temple will be destroyed, nevertheless, they still would have made the vow because they thought they, yeah, at the end of the year, maybe the last day of the year, and they came and we came right after Tisha B'av. They came on the tenth of Av or the eleventh of Av. Too late. By the time they traveled and they got there, it's too late. So, the, but they still would have made the vow, knowing because yeah, they knew the temple would be destroyed, but they, they really thought they they can they can they can do it, they can pull it off. Okay, next mission is Akdelikim mission. We already this mission was already quoted earlier. If it was six people walking on the road, and someone else was coming towards them, but there was too far, they couldn't identify. One of the six said, "And there ain't another that like I am another that this is so and so." I know this, but I recognize him. This is so and so. I, I, I'm sure it's so and so. Another one said, If I am right that it's not so and so, I will come and the third one said, And the third one said, I am a Nazir. That one of you is a Nazir. One of you is a Nazir, which of course one of them will be a Nazir because one of them is right and one of them is wrong. One of them is surely right. Either it is him or it's not him. And that person will come and nazir. I'll also become a nazir. The fourth one says, "Ain't become nazir." I'm going to be a nazir if one of you is not a nazir, and if he's also right, because one of them is not going to be a nazir. One of them is right. Well, the first two. One of the first two is right. One of them is wrong. And whoever is wrong is is uh, will not be a nazir. So I'm like you. If you're not a nazir, I'm, I'm, if you're not a nazir, I'm going to become a nazir. And the fourth one, the fifth one says, "Shneichem nazir." Two of you are the Zidim, even though it can't be. They can't, the first two can't both be the Zidim. Because one of them is right and one of them is wrong. If this one is a Nazir, the other one is not a Nazir. But erroneously, he's, he's, he's squaring the circle. 
But his mind, in his feeble mind, he thinks that both of them could be a nazir. Even though it's completely illogical. But he believes that both of them are going to be nazir. And Rebbe say the difference in Europe and America. In Europe, they believe in logic, philosophy, logic. Here, in America, there's no logic. That's why only in America could you invent Jews for Jay. Mm-hmm. Jews for Jay makes as much sense as vegetarians for meat. <laughs> it's completely illogical. It's like the silliest thing, the most ridiculous statement in the world. But in America, anything goes. It can be the most illogical thing. It doesn't mean anything. When you're so feeble-minded, that the logic, the logic, contradiction, squaring a circle, it doesn't mean anything. So in his mind, he thought that both of you are the and the fifth one says I'm also becoming another. The sixth one says, Shekulchem the Zidim. The sixth one says, all of you are the Zidim. The first five, all of the first five will become a Nazir. It's also impossible. How? The conditions are mutually exclusive. He said that the first one says, if it is him, I am. And the other one said, if it's not him, I am. How can all of them be the Zidim? But he said, all you Zidim are also going to be a Nazir. Bishami, Bishami says, Kulam Nazirim, all six are Nazirim. Even though it's a mistake, it's faulty, faulty reasoning, a faulty logic. But a, a vow, even, a, if you sanctify yourself, even if it's based on a mistake, it's effective. It's an erroneous consecration, it's effective. Because they said, every one of them said, I'm a Nazir. Since they said, I'm a Nazir, they become a Nazir. Even though it's based on false information, false logic, false premise. But still, Levi Russell argues that no, ain't another mission's kind of devoted. No one is another except the one whose words are not fulfilled. Yeah, the Gemara has to explain. What do you mean? He should have said, but still said, whose statement is fulfilled. The one who said, if this is the person that I say it is, I'm a Nazir. The person who says, the statement is, if it's not the person, if it's not that person, I'm a Nazir, then it's not that person. So he should have said, the statement, the one who fulfills, the statement is fulfilled, becomes a Nazir. Well, he says, no, the one whose statement is not fulfilled. He might have left to explain the wording of Basil. But either way, he's saying that a consecration on a mistake based on a false premise and a mistaken, illogical premise is not, is not a good consecration. So they don't all become the Zid. Tarifun says, Not a single one of them is a Nazir. Because he holds any Nazirus that's made on the condition is not a valid Nazirus. Nazirus has to be kiyaki, has to be certain. Exactly, no uncertain. It has to be clear, definitive. A definite maybe doesn't work. <laughs> it has to be definitive. See, Allah Yeah, yeah. If the person approached, turning back suddenly, so that he, let, he went away. We have no idea of verifying. Was he that person? Wasn't he that person? What do you do? You're stuck. What do you do? Ain't a Nazir. The person who vowed is not a Nazir. None of the six are Nazirs. In other words, 
even if he made a condition. But this opinion holds that it's only when the condition becomes clear. Yeah, at the time, I wasn't clear. It was far away. I couldn't recognize it if I'm making a condition. Conditional. But eventually, it has to become clear. It has to come into focus. If it never comes into focus, and the guy disappears, and I'll never know, that, that I never intended to become a Nazareth. There can't be a doubtful Nazareth. Yes, but I made, at the time, Nazareth was a doubt. And that's okay. Obviously, arguing, arguing with an Abtarfi. But eventually it has to come into focus. It doesn't come into focus, never comes into focus, we'll never know that then it's not a disease. He should say, He should say, No, exactly, we're not letting him off the hook. If it was as I said, then I already committed. In love, and if not, and it doesn't endeavor. I mean, now I'm accepting the zin. That zin never took effect because it wasn't that person. I said, if it's that person, if it turns out it wasn't that person, I'm going to take right now. I'm taking upon myself a zin. Yeah. You made the statement. You need to follow up in some regard, right? Right. So Shimon holds that that he becomes a suffolk nazar. Yeah. Problem is. You have a problem. The problem is when Abishimah says you are obligated. He disagrees with the previous statement of the Mishnah. That if it never comes into focus, if it never comes clear, then, then there's no nazirus. He says, no, you could be a doubtful nazir. But the problem then is you can't get to shave your head. You're violating a prohibition. You're bringing, bringing sacrifices to the base of Ignorance. So therefore, to get out of that, that, uh, that quandary, we tell him, say, if I was right, and I'm a definite nazir. And if not, now I'm, now I'm taking it, now I'm taking it voluntary, right now. So either way, it's a definite, right now I'm a definite nazar. Exactly, and I can shave my head, and I can bring carbonus, etc. Okay, no, we'll stop over here. We continue. Everyone have a good travel.